You're listening to Science of the Local. He's Kevin Joseph. And here's Hamish Clark. And we have for you today uh, a conversation with Professor Shari Forbes, who's famous uh, for all the people who came to the event last July when she spoke about forensic science. This was an extremely popular edition of Science at the Local, so it was great that uh, Hamish had the opportunity to do a follow-up interview with Ms. Forbes. Totally, yeah, and it was uh, it was great talking to her. Um, just a really interesting, um, you know, topic, and she's really good to talk to. And uh, I, I even touched on on that very point that you just made about how popular it was. And she's got a few interesting thoughts to share about uh, about why why that may be. Everyone loves the decomposing cadaver, I think. Yeah, look, th- there is that. And I mean, that's a nice kind of uh, segue to our event this Sunday uh, on the science of zombies as well as the science of sleep. Uh, I think there's a chance, as I say, that we could break our attendance record, but let's just wait and see. Fingers crossed. Yeah, that's right. Uh, now, look, before we throw to the interview, I've got two words for you, Kevin. Okay. Science holiday. Now, hear me out. Okay, right. Holidays, you know, everyone loves a holiday. They're, they're relaxing, they're fun, can be exciting. But for me, one of the best things about a holiday is uh, the perspective that you get. You get a bit of distance from like your home and your life and your job and all that. And, and you kind of come back a bit refreshed. You know, you kind of like you're a citizen of the world, of the universe. You kind of come back and you're like, okay, where am I? What do I think? You know, you get a bit more energy. And it occurred to me that... Um, Good science is kind of like that. You go in, you learn about DNA or you learn about decomposing cadavers. You get all these insights and it's just this nice little perspective that you can then bring back to the rest of your life. I like that concept, the science holiday. Am I crazy or am I crazy? I think that this could be a trend of the future. Yeah, I think my students might have some issues when I walk in and say, hey guys, I know you're in class, but um, think of it as a holiday. Yeah, look, uh, you might need to, <laughs> to employ some marketing on that. Uh, anyway, we'll, we'll think about that more. We hope to see you on Sunday for those listening before the event. Uh, and for those not, we've got a couple more coming up this year in September and November. Uh, science of archaeology, we've got computer science, uh, sexual health. So it's going to be good times. Enjoy. Enjoy. Okay, so thank you for your time. Um, I just thought it would be nice to to catch up because we uh, heard from you at our event in July last year, so it was uh, a year ago already. And oh, I can't believe it was. I know, and you'll be happy to know our most popular event to date. Um, oh, really? Oh, great. Yeah, I think we had around 140 people, um, whereas normally we're kind of quite happy if we get 100. Um, okay. So, uh, yeah, I think that there's a risk, I reckon, that we could get close to that for our next event, which is on zombies, um, oh. <laughs> com- coming up next weekend. Um, but that's just uh, speculation on my part. Um, yeah. So maybe on the topic, we could start, uh, if I could ask you, do you see the area you work in as a, a popular area or was that just kind of a, a one-off? No, I definitely, I, I see and I know that it is a popular area, mm-hmm. um, particularly since the 
CSI brand has come out and uh, the many TV shows that are that are available now around forensic science. Um, I know it wasn't popular before CSI because that's when I started. <laughs> and, uh, oh, wait. So you did start before CSI? You're not just a bandwagon forensic scientist? No, no. I was, well before, I was at least well five or six years before CSI and the classes were much smaller when I studied. Wow. Uh, and we, yeah, we've certainly seen in, in the university system anyway a huge increase in popularity of forensic science as a degree. Uh, that probably was for about the first 10 years. So CSI came out in 2000. So that was till about 2010. We've started to see a real plateau now. Mm -hmm. um, the numbers are still higher than they were, but they're starting to be fairly steady from year to year. Right. So um, researchers might need to address that, get in touch with Hollywood, see if they can commission a new series. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I think they just closed one of the series, actually. So oh, okay. yeah. Okay. There's a there's a series of there's a franchise. There's not just one CSI, is there? There was a few different ones. That's right. Yeah, there is. So, um, but I think the good thing now is the plateau in numbers is because people have an understanding of what forensic science is. Mm -hmm. And so those that are coming into the program are really committed to studying science, mm -hmm. whereas previously we were getting a lot of people who thought it was about being a police officer or, mm. you know, they didn't understand that it involved science and then they come in, realise that and instantly leave. Mm -hmm. And so it was um, a real accurate estimate of the number of people who were graduating from mm. these degrees. Yeah, that's really interesting, I guess. Uh for people doing maybe a general science degree, it, it's hard to predict where they'll end up, whether it's academia or someone else, somewhere else. But with forensic science, as you say, uh, they either know what it is and are interested in it, or maybe they've they've found out about it somewhere else and and realised. That's right. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and so, uh, just for our, our listeners' benefit who didn't come to the event, if you could give us maybe a, a quick um, summary of what what forensic science is and maybe how you got into it. Yeah, well, forensic science is any application of science to the law, and that doesn't just mean criminal, it includes civil law as well, uh, but it involves basically any scientific discipline you can think of. So chemistry, biology, math, physics, engineering, IT, the list just goes on. And any time we apply that to an investigation, whether it be civil or criminal, we can say that we've applied forensic science. So we can even extrapolate that to forensic accounting, to mm. environmental forensics, to wildlife forensics. There's now a huge range of, of forensic disciplines that people can be involved in. Uh, my background is, is forensic chemistry. Uh, that's what I studied at university and I specialise in decomposition chemistry, so the chemical processes that occur in soft tissue decomposition. And again, it's a very niche field, so there's very few of us in the world who study this, uh, but within the forensic sciences, we see that a lot. There's a lot of niche fields, small numbers in them, but very specific research in those areas that are trying to address a question posed by the police or assist with a police investigation. Right, and so uh, I guess then they're all playing a, a pretty important role, all those different niches, as you say, that it comes together. That's right. Yeah, and I think that's the thing people don't always understand from CSI or watching CSI is that we all have a very specific 
part of the jigsaw puzzle that we work on and we don't solve the whole puzzle ourselves. We do have to work collaboratively and within teams and across disciplines to assist a police investigation. And a police investigation can involve one or two disciplines or it could involve, you know, 10, 20, 30, depending on what's involved. Um, so every investigation is very different and it can't just be solved using fingerprints or DNA mm. as is often portrayed on TV. <laughs> yes, it's a nice idea. Um, so for people studying forensic science, uh, the way you describe it, it's actually a really broad uh, topic. Are they picking up training in all those different areas or will they go straight into chemistry or, or some other branch of it? Usually forensic science degrees do specialise in an area. Uh, the first year will always be very general. Like any science degree, we need our, our scientists to be studying chemistry, biology, physics and math. Mm -hmm. But then the second or third year of a degree uh, is usually specialised. Um, usually within forensic chemistry or forensic biology, those are the two main streams. But several programs, including ours, now have a crime scene investigation stream or a digital forensic stream. So then people can choose the area that they found a real interest in after studying the first year at university. And often that's the challenge is, is students come into university not really knowing what aspect of science they enjoy the most. Mm -hmm. And so after that first year you get a much better sense or the student gets a much better sense and at that point they can start to specialise. Mm. Um, so we do try to have them specialise in an area just because we recognise that when they go into industry that's the kind of skills they need to have. Having very broad general forensic science skills wouldn't necessarily help to get a job whereas having something more specific at knowing how to process DNA profiles that's the kind of position that will be advertised. Okay and so what kind of um, uh, jobs do people get? Are they all with the police or academia or is there a mixture? There tends to be a mixture. The, the three main areas are working within laboratories. So our government laboratory, the New South Wales Forensic and Analytical Science Services. And again, they specialise in chemistry, toxicology, biology, these different areas. Uh, all working with the police as crime scene um, investigators. We call them scene of crime officers. Mm -hmm. And so that's very much attending the scene and collecting the evidence that will ultimately be sent to the laboratory for analysis. And then the third area is in academia although that's a much smaller proportion of people because it requires graduate degrees and, and yes. graduate level study. Mm -hmm. And so uh, I guess professionally, would you identify first and foremost as a forensic scientist or a forensic chemist or even just a chemist? Yeah, I do. I call myself a forensic scientist and if I'm being specific, I'd say a forensic chemist. Mm. Um, and then I guess I just say I'm also an academic to distinguish myself from uh, the forensic chemists in the laboratories who spend most of their time in the laboratory, whereas I, I spend a portion of my time in the lab but also a portion teaching and a yes. portion doing research and so it's a slightly different role. Yeah. And what about taphonomy? Where does that come in? Taphonomy is an unusual branch. Uh, Taphonomy actually sits above above forensic chemistry. Uh, Taphonomy, again, it's almost like forensic science in that it's this umbrella that has a whole group of disciplines within it. And uh, the term taphonomy, and I mentioned this in my lecture, actually comes from paleontology and we basically stole it and started applying Excellent. it to forensic chemistry mm -hmm. um, in the 80s and forensic taphonomy 
is uh, even broader than forensic science. Forensic science is mostly the natural sciences, whereas forensic taphonomy covers both the natural and the social sciences. Okay. And so my area, I would say decomposition chemistry sits within forensic taphonomy. Um, as, but forensic chemistry, not so much. Forensic chemistry is much more of the trace evidence and, and the laboratory analysis. So, um, yeah, it's just another example of how broad and multidisciplinary and even interdisciplinary we tend to be in forensic science because in forensic taphonomy we bring in the anthropologists, the archaeologists, right. the geologists, soil scientists. There's a whole other range of people who still work in the forensic sciences but we put them under this much broader banner of taphonomy. And what, yeah. what, what's the actual root of the word taphonomy, do you know? What, what does the tapho mean? Uh, taphos is a Greek term actually mm. coming from um, burial or tomb okay. right, yeah. and, and nomos means law. Yeah, and sure. yeah, so it was coined in the field of paleontology to refer to the study of of organisms from the time of their death right to the time of fossilization mm. and we took that term because we're still interested in that process of time of death to time of recovery but whereas the paleontologists are talk talking about millennia mm. we're really talking about days weeks months or maybe years yeah it's uh, got this forensic kind of uh, immediate focus that's right yeah so um, the processes are still the same they're just on a much shorter time scale mm. Um, so can you talk a bit about uh, AFTER, um, which uh, was a, a facility um, that you mentioned at, at the talk in July, how that's coming along and what's happening? Yeah, AFTER is our Australian facility for taphonomic experimental research. So that's where we bring in all these disciplines that study under the banner of taphonomy. Uh, we opened officially in January 2016, so we've been open about seven months. Mm -hmm. Things are going great. We have been inundated with donors um, mm. wanting to sign up to, to be a donor of our facility in the future. Some we of have, them were at the talk, I think, last year. I think so, yeah, I think they were. So every time I give it a Should talk... Should I apologise for that or take credit for that? No, I don't know. No, 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 that's great. Every time I give a talk, we usually see our numbers increase you know, within days of, of the presentation. So mm. it's... Um, and, and that's really the purpose of... of my presentations is just to raise a public awareness mm -hmm. of our facility and, and what we do. Mm. Uh, so at the moment we have 15 donors that have already arrived at our facility this year mm -hmm. um, and we've already started a lot of different projects with many of our partner organisations of which there's 15 in total. and. Things, yeah, things are just going really well. Uh, we've had no issues. We've had no mm -hmm. complaints. Mm -hmm. uh, we've had a lot of people come and visit in terms of authorised visitors. Mm -hmm. uh, so quite a number of the police and, and defence and other partners have, have come to see what we're doing to make suggestions for future projects mm -hmm. and just to have sort of an ongoing relationship and, and making sure that what we're doing is accurate and feeds back to their investigations. Great. So what's the uh, lifetime of the project? Uh, of the after facility or of the projects being conducted within oh, the facility? Oh, well, maybe, maybe both. Um. Okay, yeah. Uh, with the projects within the facility is very specific to uh, each donor, actually. So mm -hmm. when we have a donor arrive, we have multiple projects uh, occurring on the donor and that's to make sure that we get the most data we possibly can from their 
invaluable contribution to science. Mm. And so it is specific. Sometimes, like my research, we, we collect data for several months, uh, but the anthropologists will collect data for years mm. and sometimes people may only collect data for a number of days mm -hmm. and so it can vary but um, given probably the longest term projects will be our anthropologists who are very interested in the weathering of mm -hmm. uh, hard tissue which is bone teeth keratin and other things such as that yep. they've asked that our projects last for in some cases a minimum of 10 years right. and so that means our facility is um, indefinite at this stage. Yes, in terms yeah, of you'd need to be term. around for a while to, to get those yeah. things. Hmm. Yeah, and, and the very first facility of this kind that opened in America uh, opened in 1980 so it's not unreasonable that these facilities do last for decades sure. and continue yeah. to do research, impactful research in that time. So we hope to be the same really in terms mm -hmm. of our lifetime or life term I guess we'll sure. say. Yep. Yeah. Um, now uh, you um, specialize in odor chemistry is that right? That's correct. Yes. How did you get into that? Did uh, did the nose or odors particularly interest you or is it the analytical techniques or, or something else? It was again my background in chemistry. I was studying decomposition chemistry and, and using particular analytical techniques to identify the chemical processes uh, that occur in soft tissue. And so we were looking at, at the solids and the liquids in the body, mm. uh, but we started to notice that like all chemistry, gases are also very important and one area that was very much underdeveloped in the forensic sciences. So there was quite a bit of research on soft tissue degradation in terms of solid and liquid degradation, but not much in in terms of odour analysis. In fact, the first person to study it only started studying in 2002, so that right. was very recent from our yes. perspective. And as I said, we're in very niche areas. There's not many of us in our areas around the world. And in order to build that area of research, we needed more people doing research in that area. Um, I was also, at the time I was living in Canada, and I was approached by the police, uh, particularly the canine unit, to try and understand how their cadaver detection dogs Mm. were actually scenting this odour. Mm -hmm. And so given my background in chemistry, that I was already interested in the gases and then having those requests from the police, it was just a natural progression of my research mm. to start investigating the odour and trying to link that to what the dogs detect and how we could enhance their ability to do that. Mm. And so a dog's kind of that uh, optimum mixture of uh, skill in terms of what they can detect but also manageability in terms of you can you know look after them and train them yeah they are uh, their skill is is phenomenal and we have no instruments at the moment that even compare in terms of sensitivity uh, but they, there is always a challenge with them in that we they don't talk obviously and so we don't always know what they're doing mm -hmm. and we can't always explain what they're doing and so some people would argue and do argue that uh, electronic noses might be the better option because they're in a way much more manageable. We can program them to do certain things and we can understand when they do or don't do those things. Mm. Um, but at the end of the day, what we keep finding is that we can never, or at this stage, we have not been able to develop an electronic nose that has the sensitivity right. of the dogs. Sure. So now we just use them as complementary tools mm -hmm. at the moment. Mm -hmm. yep. um, but certainly, yeah, the dogs, the dogs are um, 
preferable at this stage in terms of search tools. Um, could you bring in uh, wine tasting experts or people with highly developed noses? Is that a skill you can develop? It it potentially is, um, although again, just our our human nose is is nowhere near as sensitive. Pales as in the, comparison. Mm. It really does, yeah. In terms of the dog's nose and our ability to uh, differentiate odors is also not not as advanced. So the dogs have this unique ability to hone in on one particular odor, even though there's all these background odors, mm. you know. Mm. in the sort of process being processed at the same time and they can really just key into that one whereas we don't have that ability we call it an enhanced sensitivity um certainly people trained on wine aromas have an enhanced sense of sensitivity around wines yes. but not to the ability that they can actually exclude all background mm. odors and that's mm. something the dogs seem seem wow. to be able to do we're not sure why yeah that's yeah, it's fascinating um one of the the things that really um took me when I was studying was uh, uh, the vomeronasal organ and pheromones and this idea mm -hmm. that there's a you know a system within the body that's been a little bit overlooked perhaps. Uh, I'm guessing that doesn't really come up in forensic science. Are there any kind of pheromones working at that time? No, it doesn't come up in, in forensic science um, but certainly it is something discussed heavily around the dog olfactory system okay. or just the olfactory system generally mm. um, and that's where we end up being a little bit out of our depth because being chemists we don't do a lot of work in that area. So again, it's an example of where we have to have this really cross-disciplinary research mm. um, almost between neurologists and neurophysiologists and, and particular ones who focus on dogs because there's lots of work in terms of humans but not as much. Uh, so we get into the veterinary areas and the animal sciences and again once you get to that sort of area of niche uh, research there's very little research done in this area mm. to date. No, it sounds like there's a, a very um, interesting and exciting future too with lots of col collaboration across disciplines. Absolutely, and that's what we're striving for now is not just the, the cross-disciplinary in forensic science or taphonomy, but my work with the dogs, just recognising that what's outside my expertise and where we can really benefit from others' expertise in the veterinary and animal sciences. That's great. Well, look, I better wrap it up there. Thank you for your time, Shari. I really appreciate it. No problem. And I'll uh, catch up with you again down the track. Okay, sounds great. All right, all the best.